You're listening to the Mountain Woman Radio Show, which can be found on our website at treyerwilderness.com and also on iTunes. Welcome to the Mountain Woman Radio Show, where we are homesteading traditionally 100% off-grid today and offering preparedness and survival tips for tomorrow. Here's your host, Tammy Treyer. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me with Mountain Woman Radio. It is a beautiful day here in northern Idaho. I am blessed to have my parents joining us out here for a visit, and we have been busy canning. We've canned uh, dill pickles and tomatoes yesterday, and today we are... uh, canning lime pickles. So be sure to check out the blog for the recipes later this week. And also, upcoming, I am going to be doing a knitting webinar. I am learning how to make socks, and I want to pay it forward. So I am going to do a webinar and teach you how to make socks, as well as how to do some standard knitting, making dish rags and uh, maybe hot, hot plates. So If you are interested in getting involved in that, it is a free webinar. You can go to treyerwilderness.com slash knitting and sign up and you will receive more information upcoming. The uh, webinar will be in August, but I'm taking uh, early sign-ups so that we know how many people are participating. And I can also send out some patterns ahead of time so that you can get started playing around. So... That's upcoming. Lots going on here. Just crazy summer as always. So much to do here on the homestead. But I am really blessed today to have a really wonderful guest. Her name is Lisa Kiverist, and she is the author of The Soil Sisters. It's a toolkit for women farmers, and it is um, endorsed, and the foreword is by Mary Jane Butters, who is from Mary Jane's Farm, which is an awesome magazine. And I'm just really excited for Lisa to have that connection and her book is amazing and I know that we will be sharing all kinds of awesome information for all you ladies out there that are wanting to farm or who may be farming and without further ado I am just going to introduce Lisa. Lisa thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much. So good to have you and you have such a very unique story, and I really enjoyed reading your story and how things started for you, and I figured I would just give you the floor and let you share that with my audience. Sure. Well, I am on our Wisconsin homestead right now and have been for the last 20 years, but it didn't start that way, uh, and with a lot of us, particularly women in the sustainable and organic farm movement today, uh, have interesting journeys and detours and serendipity that gets us to where we are. But uh, for me, I started in Chicago, actually, during the, the brief phase of my life. My mom still calls, jokingly, my normal phase, where I worked in a cubicle for a company and got a paycheck. And the good part was I, I met my now husband there at the job, but both of us in our 
own way quickly realized that wasn't for us. And despite the fact that that's what we had been trained to do in college and what society and the media was expecting us to do, it wasn't fulfilling on a number of levels. And I personally don't have any agriculture background or grandma's farm that we went to in the summer. I grew up in the Chicago suburbs with petunia flats in our backyard. But at the time when we were feeling disjointed from the corporate job scene, we had a group of friends who took weekend trips out to Wisconsin, um, out in the country, camping, biking, hiking, typical tourist stuff. And something about being in that rural setting and seeing stars and green and small town cafes really clicked with me for the first time really in my life. And also, too, of realizing I had much more of an independent entrepreneurial streak than I realized. Uh, again, school often grooms us for jobs and working for somebody else, but I wanted to do a lot of different things, and I wanted to be more creative in my livelihood and started piecing together things with, well, wait a minute, could we live and work where we want to be and go back to the city when we need some good Thai food or Indian or something like that? <laughs> and back then, the Internet was really just starting up, but even then, I could tell that this was a game changer. And, and, and I know you, you share this feeling that <laughs> the opportunity, thanks to the Internet, to do anything and do, do your podcast and create. So uh, the idea for us has always been a little different in that we want to earn all of our income on farm, but not necessarily all through farming, uh, primarily driven by the fact that when we first moved here, we hadn't planted anything and if you can imagine couldn't even germinate zucchini our first season that fortunately has changed but we knew better uh on that note we knew there'd be a learning curve and so we've always been diversified in what we have done and that's what prompted things like we run a bed and breakfast a farm stay on the farm and do a lot of writing and outreach there and i work with a couple different nonprofits that do sustainable agriculture education so it's very diversified and and, and creative on that from. But that's uh, that's been the journey of the last 20 years. So we've done different things on our farm, uh, kindred spirits with you on the renewable energy side, but we, um, we're we still great to intertide, but we, we uh, run the farm completely on wind and sun and nice. get a check back from our utility at the end of the year. And that's a big part of our story, too, of keeping things lean. So both yep. following what you're passionate about, but keeping your expenses down and finding that there's real freedom in living on what you can earn and creating what you need versus needing to go out and buy it. So it's a <laughs> ongoing journey, always something new and always something different and always trying to improve that pickle recipe that we have here. So <laughs> still going after the better dill crunch. I don't know. I don't know. But, but we love it. It's fun and uh, always something new every season. That's awesome. And it's, it's, you just, put the nail on the head right on with everything you're saying that passion that comes with it and the uh, dreams being fulfilled and the constant change and the constant learning is just so gratifying and I absolutely love the pictures of your bed and breakfast it just looks so uh, alluring and just so so beautiful there thank you we we really enjoy hosting people uh, and I've calculated now after 20 seasons here at the B&B &B on the farm, there's probably been thousands of people around my kitchen table who enter as strangers and leave as friends. And yep. uh, I, I love that. There's nothing, no world problem that can't be solved around a breakfast table. <laughs> Food always brings people together. <laughs> 
And and that's you bet. And that's so awesome. You know, I'm sure that you have kept in touch with people over the years. You know that these are not just friends, but good friends. And to have an environment where you, for for starters, you were inspired to embrace just by other friends taking you there, and now you're inspiring others. It's a trickle down effect, and to be able to. Um, continue to teach people. There's so many people eager to embrace their dreams, but they're not as eager as you and I were, and they need that extra nudge. So that's where you and I come into play in helping them to reach their dreams. And your book, I just love how you educate and and inspire women especially. I mean, men can easily be inspired by her book, but it is focused on women and the benefits of getting women into uh, farming situations, agricultural information uh, situations, and, and you know, in, embracing that dream to get your hands in the dirt and make it a livelihood issue, like you said. It's so awesome to be able to do every day what you love. You're so right, and I wouldn't be here, and I think you'd be first in line to say that you wouldn't be where you are without the support of others, yeah. and particularly women. We're naturally, yeah. natural nurturers and very collaborative in spirit, so you definitely see that amongst the women in sustainability and yeah. agriculture movement, and that's a real passion of mine. One of my hats here is I work with Moses, the Midwest Organic Sustainable Education Service, and direct their women farmer training program here in the Midwest. Women nationally make up one of the fastest growing groups of new farmers, and we're really driving the uh, number of farms going into organic and sustainable and very local and community focused. So we're still a small slice of the bigger agricultural pie, but we're growing. And surprisingly or, or not surprisingly, there's not a lot of resources or barely any resources specifically targeting women. And to really celebrate that collaborative nature. There was a study done out of the University of Wisconsin a couple years ago, but you and I could have saved them a lot of money when I tell you their conclusion. They looked at women farmers uh, throughout the state, different backgrounds, uh, and asked us where we go to for information. And hands down, we go to each other. We go to other farmers. We go to other women. And that's our natural instinct to do, is to share and learn from each other. So our women farmer training with Moses is very much based based on that peer network model. And whether you're a beginning farmer or a seasoned grower, we all have something to learn from each other and to really celebrate that and create safe spaces for that to happen. Yep. Yeah, and that's awesome. And that is so true. I am so blessed to be working with probably like 600 different bloggers on the Internet, and it's just amazing. I've been working with them for three, four years, and just the camaraderie and the sharing and the friendships that form in these situations. And it's amazing because, you know what, there is so much to learn. I learn something new every day, and I am eager to learn something new every day. And to have those resources and to have those people that are willing to share with you their struggles, the things that have gone wrong for them so that you're not making the same mistakes. It's just a great tool and a great resource. And then, like you said, with the internet, having the internet, it broadens our reach so, so much that where before we were only limited to our local area, now we can reach so, so many people. And now with your book and and being out there, you have such, I'm just, I'm very uh, impressed with you as well as Mary Jane Butters in helping open up those doors for the women and get things and programs available that are helping and educating. Cause that's just so huge. Like you said, there, there aren't programs out there, but you guys are certainly trailblazing and that's amazing. There, there's, there, 
could be more. There should be more, and, and there will be more. But we, um, it's it's funny almost when you talk about women in agriculture and women growing food. This is hardly anything new, right? We've right. been growing food for forever, right? And definitely since the dawn of modern agriculture. But it really hasn't been until the last couple of decades, until the 1970s really, where women started being counted, both politically and economically. Right. It's things like the U.S. Agriculture Census, which is basically the census for farming, but it's a very important uh, thing because that's what drives our policy, that's what drives our farm bill, that's what drives where our dollars go, our tax dollars, right? And yeah. up until the 70s, 78, uh, the U.S. Ag Census only had one slot for ownership. Who's the owner of the farm? And right. that traditionally went to the male head of household. Right. So that changed, and I give the USDA credit catch-up. The next census that's coming out next year, I think, has seven or eight slots for farm owners, meaning there's more diversity in our yeah. farms now. There's siblings farming together. There's partnerships. There's all sorts of things that need to be recognized. So number one, we're being counted. Yep. And number two, again, it wasn't until the 70s that women truly achieved economic rights. And this sometimes shocks younger women because I was around in the 70s. I was a kid growing up, but it yep. wasn't until then that if a woman was widowed or divorced, that the farm didn't automatically go to the next male of kin. Again, it had to do with yeah. whose name was on the title and and that her economic contribution to the farm, which has been huge, yeah. was legally recognized. And yeah. it's things like even if a farm woman was widowed, she would earn own back taxes on the farm because, again, it's like she didn't own it all these years. So those things have been ironed out and still could use some ironing out. But <laughs> the point is these changes are fairly recent in our history. So yeah. it's important for us to understand where we came from to really understand where we're heading and, more importantly, where we want to head. Right. Right. And and what an awesome thing, you know. I mean, we moved from an area where there were farmers markets and and stands at the end of people's property where you could go get produce every day of the week. And and they had a big produce auction on Fridays where you could get locally grown foods and we got out here to Idaho and there's nothing around. There is now um a bountiful baskets drop that is available to us, but to me, that was like normal, and I miss it so very much. Now, we are growing our own food, but this year I did not plant a garden because of my health issues, and I'm really missing that. So it really means a lot in areas, especially like where I am located, to be able to have people available producing their own food to provide for the communities because otherwise it's, you know, grocery store the best of what you can get in the grocery store. And sometimes that isn't really very tasteful and, or healthy. And I just think it's really great to see so many people expanding. I interviewed a woman two weeks ago who was also doing the same thing and is getting her feet into farming and her husband works and she maintains the farm. So it's just a great thing to see, you know, that women are able to pick up the pieces. And for the most part, you know, men were always out in the field, but the women were still in the garden and canning the food. And so it's neat to see and nice to see that things are opening up and that there are more benefits. And, and like you said, that the women aren't being left behind or missing out on opportunities because of the way things were set up. Right, right, exactly. And to, to your important point there on isolation in rural areas, that's 
that's been there. It's somewhat changing with the internet and the ability to still connect with kindred spirits, be them not literally next door. But but it really is important, and women have always played this leading role in nurturing community. Yeah. And sometimes we have to scratch around to find kindred spirits, but it, it happens. I give yeah. an example here in my own um, area of southern Wisconsin, which is a very much a conventional dairy, industrial dairy area. Yeah. And a well, probably about eight years ago now, I was teaching a beginning women farmer workshop in Madison, which is our largest city, about a, a good hour north of us. And women were give, giving introductions around the room, and I people stood up and said where they were from. And like the third woman who stood up from my county, and two were from my town, and I'm like, who are you? You know, <laughs> why haven't we met before? And that really sparked something between us that has evolved to this. We call it informally the Green County Area Women in Sustainable Agriculture. We get together regularly for potlucks now for eight years and counting and have grown to a vibrant network of over 130 women. Not all, not all farmers, but home gardeners, uh, food enthusiasts, but all committed to sustainability and awesome. how can we grow a healthy community. And women, you know, get a lot done over a good meal with each other. <laughs> so it's interesting, too, because... This isn't anything formal. We don't have officers. We don't have a bank account or any legal 501c3 structure or anything like that. But the mm -hmm. amount of positive economic impact that have come from women gathering regularly to women met and started a cheese-making business and a couple other women started a restaurant. And more importantly, women are stepping to the plate on a leadership perspective because they know other women have their back. Yeah. We've been challenged the last year here locally, which unfortunately is nothing new in a lot of the areas, with a lot of these really large-scale CAFOs, the confined animal feeding operations, you know, the 10,000 right. yeah. dairy operations that just ate right, however you slice it. Mm. And uh, it just so happened that one of these was trying to come in and butting up against one of these women in our group's uh, family land. And she didn't take that. She, she stood up and organized around that. But she organized, too, because she knew other women had her back, and we supported her. And in the last election in April, we had three local women, again, com committed to sustainability and organics, run and win for county board seats. So nice. that's... This, the local momentum that women really are in a position to keep going. And it's interesting when you look at the statistics of women running for office, not just in rural communities or food-related, but nationally, we win at the same rate as men. We just don't run as much. You know, statistically, we aren't just running for county board like my three friends did. And right. women need to be asked to take on a leadership position where a guy might be more likely to just say, I'm running for county board. Uh, all the women who ran, other women asked them and said, we need you and we need your voice and we need your perspectives at the table. So that's good to know. We need yeah. to keep asking each other and encouraging each other whenever opportunity rises. Yeah, and that's so true because there's so many areas in the United States where they are starting to crack down and eliminate even people being able to have a personal garden or have chickens 
And, you know, if we don't stand up, men or women, we're going to lose our rights to have those privileges. And, and so it's, it's not just women, but everybody in these communities and as Americans, we need to stand up to keep those rights to be able to provide our own food and our own uh, animals and everything else. But it's awesome. And, and it's so true to know that you, people have your back and that you're supported is so much of a push to uh, get us in the right direction. You bet. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. I'm going to take a short break right now to um, get some words from our sponsors, and we will be right back to continue talking to Lisa. Stay tuned. Are you a blogger or author struggling to keep up with the demands of your business? Are you also afraid to hire somebody on in fear of that inadequate person and the struggles that go along with it? Well, look no further. Contact Michelle of mdh-services.com for a reliable, efficient, and trustworthy virtual assistant. Offering editing, manuscript editing, blog post creation, blog work, administrative work, clerical work, social media sharing, and so much more. She's very organized, efficient, and she will always be a step ahead of you. Trust me. So contact Michelle of mdh-services.com and take your blog and writing to the next level. She will also allow you to free up your time so that you can use it where you need it most. Do you have a loved one or are you suffering from celiac disease or a gluten intolerance? Trying to find that perfect flour? Whether you are baking cookies, flaky pie crusts, or baking breads from scratch, or you are looking for a quick cake from a package, look no further. Better Batter offers non-GMO gluten-free products with an assortment of packaged items as well as flour packaged in varying sizes, including their bulk sizes, perfect for those of you that are practicing your preparedness skills. Better Batter is not just another gluten-free flour. It's what you have been searching for. Visit betterbatter.org. Do you have your free digital subscription to Prepare Magazine yet? If not, then hurry over to preparemag.com and start getting each monthly issue sent directly to your inbox. It's easy. All you have to do is go to preparemag.com, enter your name and email address, and you're subscribed. Consider signing up for the premium membership for past issues and exclusive resources. You can even subscribe to the beautiful print version of Prepare Magazine. Visit preparemag.com and choose the option that's most valuable to you. Prepare Magazine, encouraging, empowering, and enriching your journey. Okay, we are back, and again, we are talking with Lisa Kiverist. And by the way, you can find her at SoilSistersBook.com. And on that website, you will also find links back to her bed and breakfast and the varying other things that she has going on. And I figured now that we have heard a little bit about Lisa, I figured the second half of our interview, we can talk a lot about her book. Her book is a great, great resource. And um, Lisa, if you want to share how that got started... Sure. So the book Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers, grew out of my work both in training for women farmers and writing about the amazing stories of women in agriculture for the last almost decade now. And A, realizing we don't have resources that really target this group, and that B, there are so many amazing stories of what women are doing that need to get out there and to help inspire other women. So that's what the book's all about. It's really the first resource for women wanting to start food and farm-based operations under the sustainability tent. Uh, There's over 100 amazing women who've contributed in different ways through 
case study stories and advice and tips and ideas and uh, covers really the startup that a woman would need, even if she's just at the beginning or if she's seasoned a little down the road to think about some new things to take on. We, we talk a lot about diversification and agritourism and anything from starting those those B&Bs close to my heart to the on-farm food service and all the farm-to-table dinners you hear about now and creating value-added products in your home kitchen under the increasing cottage food laws. Our other book, uh, my husband John Ivanko and I wrote last year, Homemade for Sale, dials even more into that of how to help folks start food businesses in home kitchens, again, under these new cottage food laws, which is really expanding opportunity for entrepreneurship because you don't need to invest in the 50 grand commercial kitchen. You can get something started today and start selling at your farmer's market and use that abundance of extra tomatoes or the seconds that you can't take to market and make salsa and sell that. So it's really, too, about a lot of the creativity and the ideas behind these women-driven businesses. There wasn't, I don't know a woman farmer who, like yourself, does just one thing. You know, we, <laughs> we thrive in diversity just like Mother Nature, and how can we both celebrate that, but importantly, make it a founding component of a smart business plan? It, it, yeah. uh, we can talk about sustainability all we want, but if we're not sustainable financially as as families, as businesses, it's all a hobby, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's not what we want. We want people to be on their farms in whatever situation they want to be, but be thriving on multiple levels. So yes. that's an important uh, piece of the pie, too. Yeah. So uh, the book also dials into, as we've been talking about, this collaborative spirit of women, but also the fact that we do and we should bring our feminine side to agriculture. And for a lot of women, what that really means is self-expression and using their farmstead as a palette for expressing who they are. There's a woman in the Soul Sisters book, my pal Gabrielle Marcheski, she's in Homestead, Florida and runs Paradise Farms. It's a in beautiful Florida, you know, it's gorgeous and tropical and she has avocados and edible greens and <laughs> mushrooms and does dinners on the farm and all sorts of things there. But she farms in skirts because she likes to and she's comfortable and she's even designing different skirts. So one of them has bigger pockets for harvesting salad greens, you know, they're <laughs> functional skirts. And she paints all the doors on her farm pink because she can and she likes it. And she's relatively short as most women are shorter physically than men so she lowered all of the uh, countertops and the work tables on her farm so that she can access them so (laughs) it's feeling empowered to create something that in some cases may better physically uh, reflect who you are and allow you to ergonomically work better but also more importantly to express who you are as a person and a woman yeah and not only that that just totally increases your spirit and and you know, allows you to thrive. And something you said really triggered me when you said about, um, you know, not viewing it as a, or not a hobby, but as a business. And, you know, once you shift your thoughts and actually look at what you're doing as a business and as a job, you, your focus changes and you start to thrive because you're no longer looking at it as a hobby. You're looking at it as, as, so much more. And it's just amazing how sometimes our thought process stifles our progress. So once you embrace things and really allow yourself to come out of your shell, more or less, and, and be who you are, it really increases things. And the word, um, my mom always said, tell a woman 
tell everybody, you know, and that's the beauty of what you're doing is the more women that are involved in this and the more women that help one another, you know, the more we all grow. And I think that that's just so important because so, so often you run into people that, that don't want to share, they know knowledge, but they keep it to themselves. And I just think that's a selfish nature where the majority of people that I run into that I'm working with are so willing to share. And I think that that is such a beneficial way to improve our futures is to share with the knowledge we have and build upon each other and inspire each other and to encourage each other. You know, we all thrive that way, not just children, but adults too. And I just think it's, it's really wonderful what you're doing. And I, I, I love all the aspects of what you're doing. And your book is amazing how it features all the different women and their different stories. It's very inspiring. You bet. And then it's interesting because there's the networking and support amongst kindred-spirited women. And then eventually we feel the need to go more public, you know, to take our message and mission to the general public and to help educate about where your food comes from, and why the community and local ties are important, and how empowering it is to grow your own food, whether it's a functioning farm with acres of produce or a tomato plant on your container, on your porch. That local group of women I mentioned, um, our Green County Area Women in Sustainable Agriculture, started a couple years now. Actually, we're heading into our fifth year of an annual weekend called Soil Sisters, a celebration of Wisconsin farms and rural life. And we have over 20 owned women-owned organic farms in our general area here that offer farm tours and on-farm workshops and culinary events. And those are celebrating the fun side of farm life in summertime. But most importantly, there are reasons, compelling reasons for folks to come out to farms and bring their kids and yeah. see where the milk actually comes, comes out of the goat you know, and, <laughs> and where the chicken is and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And uh, that's, again, a mission that women collectively and collaboratively can really do because it's the natural fit. We naturally want to, as you were saying, share what we know and and particularly help connect those educational opportunities with kids. Yes. And to really uh, start changing how we think about food and there's no better opportunity there than with the next generation. And I am no psychologist or uh, knowledgeable about the inner workings of children's brains. However, I have never taken a kid out into the garden and given them anything fresh that they haven't sparked to, you know? So uh, it's definitely a game changer the more we can create those opportunities. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Between the kitchen and the garden, you know, my son has grown up here on our homestead enjoying being in the garden, enjoying being in the kitchen. And those are life skills. And there are adults who don't know where chick, where eggs come from or where cow's milk comes from. You know, they just assume it's from the store. So to touch our, our children is really important. And to be able to be a light in the communities too, that's just, I just think it's really awesome. All the different events you have and the workshops and classes, because it's such a wonderful thing to be able to educate and a lot of our traditions and our skills have been lost from generation to generation. And that's something that we really strive here to keep intact and keep paying forward before they get lost. And that's basically what you're doing as well, which is just so awesome. And it's it's a different form of communication sometimes with 
the Internet and technology being what it was, our local group of women here, we have a basic listserv, a Yahoo listserv that we use, and it's amazing the amount of knowledge that uh, is shared. I, I had posted yesterday, back to those pickles. I was like, all right, I'm going to take on dills again. And I just wasn't pleased with how they came out. They were mushy versus crunchy to my taste. And okay. I, I got immediately, and everybody got immediately, because it's a list of like 10 different ideas from the, you know, how fresh and how do you harvest the, the, the pickling cuke to adding some grape leaves for extra crunch. And yep. it's one thing to get one piece of information, but when you can combine all those great <laughs> insights, my, my pickles have much more potential this year. And, <laughs> and it, 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 just, it grows community, bottom line, when we all know that we're contributing to each other. Yep. Yeah, so, so very much. And everything always focuses around food for a woman. But there, you said about the kindred spirits and finding the kindred spirits. I just feel so blessed with the kindred spirits I have connected with because it's always been an instantaneous connection, a connection that you knew, like you felt like you've known that person for forever and you know that you will continue to have communications with that person and a good friendship with that person forever forward, you know? So it's just a neat thing when you find those people that are just, that you're just so, so connected with. It's such a, a wonderful feeling in itself. Two is showing up. I mean, the question often comes up from women in more isolated areas and they really feel like an island, you know, and there's nobody out here that I can relate to, and there's yep. no women I have things in common with, and I guarantee there are. It just may take a little uh, research, a little yep. knocking on doors, or more importantly, opening your own door. Yeah. We, uh, since we moved here, always are hosting potlucks and open house to invite people over, yep. and um you never know who you meet. You yep. never know who's bringing, who's bringing somebody, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, it may take some connections on your part, but those connections will go much, much broader than just yourself when all of a sudden. Yep. Yep. And what you're discussing, too, is a thing of the past, you know, and traditionally – you know, on the homesteads and things, they'd if they had work to do, they'd all get together and go from one farm to the next, doing the work and and gathering over food and and you know connecting with the neighbors and helping. And it's just n nice to know that, like you said earlier, that there's people there that have your back, and that means so much. And I think t today, because everybody's so busy and everybody's so scattered, and things aren't the way they used to be in in that regard. So it's it's nice when you can be in a community and w when you can find those connections. And like you said, it just may take seeking them sometimes instead of sitting waiting for them to come to you. Sure. Yep. Sure. And making mistakes along the way. And, sure. <laughs> uh, trying things out. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's amazing. Get back to our local network here. But these are fun examples of if there's something that you're doing anyway, you don't have to be 100% expert, but you're doing it is to just get the message out and invite folks over. There was a, some women, a woman last week on her farm was building a fence. She kind of knew how to build fences, but she was learning. Right. And also she could use some extra hands, and there were women who wanted to learn, and it turned into this whole fun day. And there nice. was a potluck lunch, and new people <laughs> met, and no money's exchanged. It doesn't need to be a financial endeavor, but mm -mm. it's just saying this is what I'm doing and inviting folks into your, your home and farm uh, yeah. is often a great first step. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have a lot of workshops directly at your home or are they usually out at the different community things that you have going on? 
We do some here. Um, with my work with Moses on our Women Farmer Training, we have a series of workshops we do every summer in her boots, Sustainable Agriculture for Women by Women, and these are on various women-owned farms throughout the Midwest. So they're day-long workshops. We have uh, five of them this season he, uh, in just about, just about every state in the Midwest. Um, so they're a real neat opportunity to both do a very intimate hands-on farm tour and ask questions. Uh, one of the ones we're doing later into August at Kathy Zeman's farm in Minnesota, she's a what we call, I write about in Soul Sisters, as a solo operator. So she's a woman who runs her own business exclusively. And women farming solo could be different. They could sometimes be single women. They could be women with spouses who do completely different things or have you know, careers as accountants or doctors in town or whatever. Uh, they may support the farm, but they're not. And those situations have their own opportunities and challenges and they're important stories to share because it's one thing to want to start your own farm it's another thing for a woman to really want to start it or have to start it on her own and what are some learnings there so so those stories tend to come out too the other uh, growing number of women farmers is what what i call in the book encore farmers and these are women who are starting farms midlife so in their 40s 50s and beyond mm-hmm. may come from completely different careers or they may too have been in that corporate cubicle for years but finally say this is what i want to do and act on it that term encore farm came from a woman paula foreman whose story is also featured in the Soul Sisters book where she literally woke up on her 50th birthday and said, okay, if I'm ever going to follow my farm dream, I have to do it now, statistically. <laughs> and so she called her farm Encore Farm. And I nice. thought that was such a beautiful <laughs> phrase that describes the next chapter of your life. But with a lot of women farmers in general, and particularly Encore Farmers, maybe we're a little uh, older, wiser, and we realize time is not on our side as it was when we were 20, that we're more strategic in what we do and how we plan our business. So, for example, at Paula's Encore Farm, she specializes in dried beans, okay. uh, which is brilliant on a number of levels because, A, it's something that she can manage on her own that isn't highly mechanized. She didn't have to invest in a lot of major tractor gear or other equipment. It's a a crop that nobody else was doing. So she's right outside the Twin Cities in Minnesota. And she actually, she sells almost exclusively to area chefs because they were craving something like this. So there's lots of chefs who want to do more local food year round, but what do you do in the winter? Well, beans, especially heirloom varietals can make a lovely dish. So she has a market and um, it's something also too, that's not perishable. It's not the, the basil that you're bringing to market, but by the time you get to market, it starts to wilt. Dried beans will both stay and importantly, keep your income flow going. So I I love those examples of how can women connect the dots to really create something strategic and smart that keeps them on the financial up, but also is something that they can do into their senior years or how long do we want to do it. But that also too leads up the point of urgency and caring for our bodies because I, I, don't, I don't know if you're right, men and, and women are different. Right. And uh, the, the reality, though, is that just about everything in agriculture is designed for men and they are taller than women. And some of it just has to do with how we operate. Women carry, men carry more of their strength in their upper half of their body, their arms, whereas we women carry our strength in our lower half. Mm 
Right. And it's pretty obvious to see how that is an important factor in tool design. And it's a very important factor when we look at it more broadly, because if we ever really want to both grow our farm businesses and more importantly transform the food system long term, we have to be around, right? Okay. And we have to be healthy and functioning. So there's a lot of work that's been done, but importantly, more work that needs to be done in addressing the ergonomic and physical issues for women farmers so that we can care for our bodies and healthfully grow. There's another story in the book, um, Green Hair and Tools, Ann Adams and Liz Brenzinger, they started a farm out in Pennsylvania and were doing well, enjoyed it, and were successful at it, except they started getting all these interesting creaks and and uh, just sore muscles etc. And we're realizing it wasn't so much even their age or their fitness level. It was the fact that these tools they were using were not designed for their body. And they were always accommodating things that started catching up with them physically. Sure. So they thought to themselves, okay, well, we can't be the only women who are having these issues. We're going to find all the tools that are designed for women and put them in a catalog so other folks can find them too. Sure. And they found nothing, nothing, <laughs> zero. Now, that said, there were some gardening companies that would make, you know, paint things pink or make them look pretty. Right. But not that's functional. not what we're talking about here. We want <laughs> functional tools. Yeah. So that took them on a different life path, and now they run Green Hair and Tools, which is uh, redesigning tools for women farmers and doing focus groups and working with researchers at Penn State University to really do it right. And nice. the first tool that we women wanted was a shovel, big surprise. <laughs> and this shovel that they do comes in three different sizes because we uh, – come in different sizes. And also, too, they found that when men tend to use a shovel, they tend to um, dig straight down. And we women tend to dig at an angle. So again, mm -hmm. it's, not a, it's nothing to do with right, wrong, or bad, good. It's just different. differences. <laughs> and how can a shovel be designed to enhance how we work versus not? And the, the interesting story about Anne and Liz, uh, because I'm sure there's women, and we've all followed this category sometimes, if you just don't know where that end is, right? Or you, you're just not sure and there's risk involved with that. And sometimes we just have to take that first step yep. and what might make sense at the time. And there's a reason we call our farm in serendipity, right? Because there's a lot of serendipity in the process. You meet people, you're exposed to people and your journey and your business evolve. But when um, they started the first farm, uh, on the property, there's a pond, and when they saw the property for the first time, there was a beautiful green heron on the water, and they said, great, we're going to call it Green Heron Farm. <laughs> well, it turns out that the green heron is really one of the few birds that uses its beak as a tool, and <laughs> foreshadowing, you know, they didn't have to change the name much. So, um, so yeah, that, uh, I love that story because, again, sometimes we just need to take our first step. Yep. And who knows where it might lead. They didn't plan on designing tools and running this tool company, but they um, that's where they are. And, yep. and their, their impact and influence for this women farmer movement is much broader than when they just ran their own farm. And, and it's an important thing to think about because what are – anything, gaps, issues, needs, yeah. the things that get us riled up and frustrated, don't let them just frustrate us. What what can be done? Solution. Be it, yeah. you know, a, a, a policy, a law that needs to be changed to a new business, uh, literally a tool that needs to be created or whatever it may be. Uh, that's 
the role we need to increasingly take so that the next generation of women farmers that come after us thank us, you know, and say, yeah. as I do so much for women, uh, particularly women who started farming in the 80s and 90s before organics were hip and cool, right? right. Before <laughs> you saw the movement that you see today, that was talk about isolating, yeah. but they did it and they stuck with it. And yeah. hands down, we wouldn't be where we are here today without uh, folks like Denise O'Brien. Um, also, I write about the Soul Sisters book where she and her husband, Larry, were organic farmers way before it was cool in um, mm-hmm. uh, Iowa. And during the 80s in that farm crisis and going to local community meetings, Denise noticed that it was very gender skewed. The men were on this side of the room and the women were on this side and the conversations were different. And she heard amongst the women things like, hey, I saw this coming, you know, or we should have diversified. We shouldn't just be growing one thing and really felt compelled that women need to be at the leadership table more and they need opportunities to connect. So Denise, with no uh, nonprofit experience or organized experience on that note, she was a farmer, started the Women, Food, and Agriculture Network, which is still the only national organization for women in sustainable agriculture. And had she not started that again, you see the ripple effect, uh, we wouldn't be here today. So we constantly need to be questioning and challenging both ourselves and our, our, our country and our society and where we want to be. Yeah, very true. Very, very true. And I think you'd agree with me that the first step in anything, whether it's uh, taking on a homestead, growing a plant in a pot on your back porch, or becoming a woman farmer, it's just taking that first step. And and as you said, you never know who's going to cross your path. I always say that, you know, God takes us to the next level through different people. And those people that cross our path have a purpose. They may not be in our lives for a long period. Others may be in our lives for the rest of our lives. But everything has a purpose. And and like you said, taking that first step is the key thing in anything we do. It's just being brave enough to step out of our comfort zone and take that first step. Indeed. And that's one, too, the joy of the farming side is by keeping things small, you can experiment with, be it different crops, different heirloom varietals, different things. And if you can't decide on that one thing you want to do, that's okay. Start a couple different ideas off of your homestead and start them small scale and try to do things as get free as possible. And there's so much opportunity to to do that and see, see what works. You know, some, you may have a market more for than others. Some you bottom line may enjoy doing and some the economics may work better. We do um, here in Wisconsin under our cottage food law, we can do high acid products in our home kitchen. So the safer canned foods, jams, jellies, salsas, that sort of thing. And um, we had a bumper tomato crop last year and I'm like, all right, I'm going to make salsa. And (laughs) You can appreciate the time it takes to can, but the time it took to make salsa was crazy. The salsa was great, (laughs) but I was like, man, for me to even recoup my time investment, I'm going to have to charge 20 bucks a pipe (laughs) here, and I'm never going to get that. So that was a small-scale experiment. That was fine, and that was the same year we had a bumper crop of cabbage and and pumpkins and I started doing sauerkraut which there was a lot of strawberry jam at the markets but there's not a lot of sauerkraut it's a little different and also too at the pumpkins I started making pickled pumpkin which I have a 
Baltic roots. My dad's from Estonia. My mom's from Latvia. And we pickle everything back in the homeland, you know. So this is an Estonian take on pickled pumpkin. And again, it was something different. And I ended nice. up selling out of it because it wasn't the same old, same old. But the point was they were all small endeavors relatively. And even if something didn't sell, I would eat it. <laughs> yeah. There wasn't any, any loss there. So yep. it's important to think about your ideas like that of how can I get it started. For example, too, there's a real strong interest, and I write about it a lot in the Soul Sisters, but particularly amongst women, of the whole on-farm food service, you know, of having dinners on the farm and yep. and serving food to people. And, of course, it's a lovely idea, and it can be a source of income diversification, but in most states that requires commercial kitchens, you right. know, and that requires infrastructure investments. Right. If you want to sell prepared food, you know, something on a plate to people. Right. And, um, but that said, in most states, it's still legal and fine to throw a potluck, you know? Right. And sometimes people poo-poo simple ideas like that, but I'm like, hey, if, you, if some of your goals, which for most women are, is, I want to connect with my community. Right. I want to market my business. I want to bring people to the farm. All three of those goals can be achieved with a potluck, you know, without yeah. a 50 grand kitchen investment. And try <laughs> it out and see. And you'll know if those kind of events are things that you like. They obviously take a lot of time uh, investment to get ready, et cetera. Or are you somebody who would rather be out in the field weeding or in the kitchen pickling. There's yeah. options. Yep. But uh, once you've, again, taken on debt or increased that price tag and you're committed to something before you know, is this really where I want to be, then you're stuck. Yeah. So keep it small. Yeah, such great advice, such great, great advice. And and the other thing you had mentioned, too, uh, with the folks with the uh, tools and making the um, – uh, new women's tools, you know, looking in your area, um, for what your area needs, you know, like also with the dried beans, you, you know, listen to what's going on in your community and keep your eyes open as to how you can, uh, create an income stream based on the needs of your area. You bet. You bet. And that may dial into the education side a bit, especially if you're in a more rural area like ours where there aren't a lot of restaurants buying local, right. you know, and the schools are starting to warm up to the idea, but it's not as far along as it is in some urban areas. Mm -hmm. And that takes time and patience and education. But uh, but it is the dial is definitely changing wherever you are. And um, there's definitely a need for more of that kind of outreach and more asking. And, um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the good. Yeah, definitely. And I, I hope I'm hoping that everyone out there listening, I'm sure that you have gleaned something off of this. But I'm gonna give. We're running out of time, and I'm gonna give Lisa the floor one last time to give you some words of encouragement that might be on her heart or uh, some last minute sentiments. Sure. Um, go for it. <laughs> I think that's the bottom line um, because. It's easy, I think it's particularly easy for women to fall into that research phase of things, you know, and we yeah. love to think about ideas and bounce ideas around and read about them and study them and talk about them, and the bottom line is to get something going, and you don't need even necessarily to, whatever, quit your job and buy the farm and move out tomorrow, <laughs> but what could you do today to get started, and how can that 
potentially lead to other things. That's the key. Yeah. Um, that's the key because it's, it's easy to get caught in, again, that planning and research phase and wanting to make sure everything is perfect and fine on paper and all the T's are crossed and all the numbers add up. Uh, but, but, but related to the numbers, another key thing to think about and keep in mind is, as, as you've seen in your homestead, when you're living the sustainable lifestyle and everything in your life is integrated, the normal equations of society and money don't apply anymore. Right. You, you, you don't right. need a paycheck to do what you want to do. It's not a question of income in the financial sense anymore. Or I have to go to the grocery store and I'm generating my own power and I don't need to yeah. pay the utility company and I'm working from home and I don't have to, you know, have fuel and things in my car and commuting costs that other folks have, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. It really changes the dynamic and the equation. And that might take some warming up to it. What it did for me, because I was raised, you know, my dad had the same job for 45 years and it was very much a, a paycheck, traditional family household, if you will. So yeah. this yeah. idea that I can blend what I love to do as my work is very foreign to a lot of people, and there might yeah. be friction and feedback of, what do you mean? You know, especially from people who don't like what they're doing. Or, <laughs> that's the whole point of a job, isn't it? You do what you don't like so that you have time and money on weekends maybe to do what you want to do. And <laughs> we women are fundamentally throwing that out the window and creating new equations of what the good life's all about. And that, that takes time, too, to both warm up to and understand. Yeah. But it's really empowering, as you can hear from the stories of the women and soul sisters to have that freedom both in the what you do and the how you create your livelihood around that uh, has so much potential. Oh, so much. What great, what great words. Yes. Yeah. And the thing is a lot of times it's more time and energy than it is financial. You know, our projects are our sweat and blood and our passion. And it is something that is hard for people to wrap their head around in that we, you know, we don't have the needs of other people. You know, a lot of people go to Walmart and they have to, they get sucked into the consumer the consumerism. And when we walk in there, we go in there with a mission. I know what aisle I'm going to. I get what I need and I get out because I, I don't need those things. You know, I have, I'm sufficient with what I have and, and you learn to make do because you want to, you have goals and plans. So it's so true. So true. And we can, you can make your dreams happen without spending the money and it's just embracing it and, and taking that first step. <laughs> you bet. You bet. And yeah, it's a g example of how, well, typically, if people have jobs and traditional work situations, you go on vacation, right? Because yep. you need to go away from what you do, and yep. you do something completely different, and obviously that takes time and a lot of money. I can't remember a time we went on vacation in that traditional sense of, yep. I just need to get out of here, yep. period. I mean, I love the farm. I love what I do. Now, that said, we travel, we go places. But in this case, it's all part of the business, be it yeah. visiting another farm and seeing how they do things or researching for the book project or an article or going to a conference and meeting other people. Yep. And that shifts the equation. And, and we write about this in our other book, uh, Ecopreneuring, which is more on the business side. Of, well, how do you make that work? How do you create a, a, a legal business, might I add, you know, using yeah. our current business structures, but doing it with 
green principles in mind and sustainability and community and changing the equations in a lot of ways there, but it's a real shift. Yeah. And again, a lot of folks still don't understand that or mm -hmm. remotely appreciate it. So there's education on that front too. And that's why the work you're doing is so empowering because it's mm -hmm. getting these stories out there. Yeah. And I'm sure you have listeners who, who knows, might be listening in their cubicle <laughs> on the on the way home and maybe live, living yeah. completely different life. Yeah. And the more we can share stories of the variety of different paths, this definitely isn't a cookie cutter path to, uh -uh. to success. And even then success is defined differently and the good life is defined differently by different people. And that's fabulous, yeah. yep. but it's that journey and sharing it that is empowering. Oh, so very much. And it's when your home is a comfort spot and you prefer, I'm, I know you're the same way. You said you travel, but I'm sure when you're gone for several days, you're ready to be back home. We, we go to town even for our grocery shopping and it's like, we don't even want to be there. I just want to be home. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Well, Lisa, thank you so very much for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. This was wonderful. And I'm so glad to have the opportunity to get you the word out of everything that you're doing. Thank you. <laughs> and folks, again, you can find Lisa um, at SoilSistersBook.com. If you are interested in locating her book, you can also go to TreyerWilderness.com slash SoilSisters. And uh, just one last mention of the knitting webinar that will be up and coming. If you are interested in getting involved in learning how to knit, you can go to treyerwilderness.com slash knitting. And I just wish you all a great rest of your summer. I we will see you again in two weeks. And just thank you for listening in. And until then, God bless. You're listening to the Mountain Woman Radio Show, where you will learn something new every week. We hope you enjoyed the show and encourage you to join us at TreyerWilderness.com. And be sure to connect with us on iTunes. Remember, your reviews on iTunes are very important to us and help us reach more people just like you. 